Hey, everybody. My name is Rob Shear, and I'm the founder of a national nonprofit called Comfort Cases. I'm also an advocate for children in our foster care system, a public speaker, an author of a book, A Forever Family. But most importantly, I am the father of four amazing children. Hi, I'm Dana McKay, and I saw Rob on The Ellen Show, and when I realized his organization was based right here where I live, I knew I had to get involved. I'm also a social media consultant, a radio host, a podcast producer, and a mother of two children. See, our country's foster care system is shattered, and this podcast is about how we as a community can come together to bring about change, changing the system, and changing the lives of children in care. Welcome to the Fostering Change Podcast. Well, hi, everybody. Um, Once again, we're back here. My name is Rob Shear, and I am the founder of Comfort Cases, and I'm with my dear and wonderful friend, Dana. And we're here to talk to do Fostering Change again. Yes, absolutely. So excited to talk to our guest today, Kimberly, who is a friend of yours. And Kimberly works with youth who have aged out of the foster care system, correct? That is correct. She is actually the um, executive director and the founder of Foster Alumni Mentors. And I got to tell a quick story about how I met how I met Kim. As most of you know already, um, you know, we had a viral video that came out and Kim saw the video and, and she reached out and I reached out immediately because you know that's what we're supposed to do i'm kind of shocked the number of times i hear people say they're shocked that i reach out because i guess they reach out to other people and they just ignore them well i think because everybody wants their nonprofit to be the one that's doing the most do you feel like it's kind of like that like it's almost like competition like you're an actual business it, it really you know what i it, gosh you always ask the right questions dana because <laughs> i i actually was just at a conference and i was i actually had that whole entire conversation And the one thing that Kim did is she reached out to me and she was like, listen, you're running a successful nonprofit. Can you talk to me? And I was like, "Uh, hell yes. And so we got on the phone and we just hit it off. And then we ended up getting to meet at the Purple Project, which, which, by the way, we're going to be having her on, I think, next week on on our podcast. Um, We met in person and fell in love with each other. At least I fell in love with Kim and we have stayed friends since then. And I got to just see her just recently again. So Kim, welcome to Fostering Change. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. And that meeting, you know, you are so inspiring and I was so touched that you were willing to just sit down and chat with me and share your life with me. And uh, we don't get that very often. Well, you know what? I think it's a big mistake for all of us who have nonprofits that we don't realize that we're in this together. You know, I say this all the time. There's enough money to go around. And if you truly are in this for the children, then you're going to do everything in your power to bring a group of people together to make this work. And what you are doing, you know, is absolutely unbelievable. Mentoring to me and Dana and I've had this conversation before. Mentoring to me is truly the key to success for kids who are in the system. And, and, and I believe, and I actually, I was just in Atlanta and I was meeting with big brothers, big sisters, and I was saying to them that I feel like mentoring for kids who are in the system should start immediately when they enter the system. Immediately when they come in the system, they should be given a mentor. But what you're 
organization does is you're actually mentoring, you're connecting, inspiring, empowering children who are actually, and by the way, I always say this, I got, I, somebody said to me the other day, you do know that they're not, they're not children. I'm like, listen, I'm going to be 53 years old in a couple of weeks. They are children. <laughs> so, so I'd love for you to do me a, a, give me a little backstory, Ken, before we start talking about foster alumni mentors. And again, you know, you can go to the website, foster alumni mentors. Mentors.org. Um, I truly believe that this is something we all should be supporting. But I'd like for you to give me a little bit of your backstory. Yeah, and that's something I don't share with people very often is my backstory. Uh, and, and I'm not quite sure why. I don't know if it's because I'm still getting comfortable with it. However, I always tell people I was in foster care, where I've come from, and what's going on now. And uh, for me, Foster care didn't happen until later in life when I was 14 years old. Me and my siblings, we fell through the cracks. Um, we grew up in the Seattle area. My mom was addicted to drugs and alcohol and abusive men. And uh, it just kind of ran in our family, ran rampant in our family. My, my uncles were all involved with alcohol and drugs. And so family life when I was younger was not great. And even when I would reach out and talk to counselors about things that were going on in our life, the sexual abuse or physical abuse or drugs and alcohol, the, the domestic violence. Nobody ever stepped in. And uh, it wasn't until we moved to the state of Minnesota to the smallest town I have ever been in in my entire life, a town of 400 people. That, How many people? Um, How many people? <laughs> 400 people. Oh, my gosh. That's small. <laughs> that's a small town. Yes. I thought I lived in a small town in Darnstown, Maryland. I thought, you know, but that is a really small town. It's it's a really small town, and I always tell people it's one of those towns where everybody knows your business before you know your own business. And uh, it wasn't until I moved there, and the physical abuse had gotten so bad with my stepfather that I had gone into our counselor's office that morning and uh, immediately he contacted law enforcement and we were removed from my, my mom and my stepdad's care and went into the foster care system for the first time and uh, lived with a really great woman. Her name is Teresa. I recently reconnected with her on Facebook and uh, just loving, motherly, kind. And we ended up being returned within a year to my family and uh, we moved and things were good for a while, and my mom just went right back to the drugs and the alcohol and the physical abuse, and uh, we traveled around some more, and we moved back to Minnesota, and lo and behold, I ended up being removed again at the age of 17. Um, and during that time, I had, growing up, I had lived with friends and family, and so I was kind of all over the place, but at 17, I went into care, and uh, I mean, it was a it was a fine experience this time in foster care. My foster parents were there more to just provide a safe place. They weren't the warm, cuddly, loving type, but um, they provided what I needed. And one week before I graduated high school, this was back in 1995 before legislation had passed for helping kids aging out of foster care, my caseworker basically told me, well, you need to go find somewhere to live because you can't live here anymore because you're graduating. And I graduated June 4th, 1995, and I wasn't going to turn 18 until August 30th, 1995, so almost a full three months before my 18th birthday, I was told I would need to leave the home that I had lived in. 
And my mom and siblings and stepdad had already moved to the state of Colorado. And they showed up surprised at my graduation and loaded up the vehicle with my belongings and brought me out to Colorado. And that's how I ended up here. But I'm still baffled as to how my diploma made the difference as to whether I was going to be abused and neglected again or what was going to happen in the future that the caseworkers just said, bye, you're, you're no longer allowed to stay in foster care. Wow. Wow. Gosh, it's so crazy how, you know, our lives were so parallel and, and, you know, being in the system. And one of the things that, you know, I, I'm struck about this and I, I see this throughout the country is that, you know, I truly do believe that, you know, re- reunification is the key to success. I also believe that, you know, trying to do everything we possibly can to keep families together is how we're going to truly decrease the number of kids in foster care. But I do believe that when a child is being abused physically, sexually, um, that it is our responsibility to step in and remove that child. A couple questions that, that, you know, Kim, that came into my mind. I was, I was yesterday in, in um, Wichita Falls, Texas, and I was talking to a group of people, and I said how upsetting it is that a child can be in that little small town that you were in, and, um, you know, your stepfather's abusing you, and you are removed from that home, and then you're, you know, they do whatever they need to do, whether it's parenting classes, anger management classes. I mean, they give them all these things they have to do. They gave you back. Was there anybody coming in and checking in on you? The first time we were removed and returned, all services stopped. And then the second time when they sent me with my parents, we came to Colorado. So there was no check-in, check-up afterwards. There was no follow-up care. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, and Dana, I, I've talked about this so many times. I said this yesterday, you know, this is absolute bullshit that we, and sorry, my, for those of you who are listening to this podcast and you say, Rob, please don't cuss. This makes me so, so upset. And I tell the story, I tell the story about the little boy named Billy, the little boy named Billy who lived in, let's say Kentucky And Billy is being beat by his parents. He's being, you know, malnutrition. And they come in and they take Billy. And, you know, Billy goes into a foster home. And, you know, he sits in that foster home for 18 months. And the parents, you know, basically get their act together enough for the courts to say, Billy can come back to you. And Billy goes back to mom and dad, and mom and dad are having that social worker tap on their shoulders first couple of months, and then dad and mom say, screw this, and they pick Billy up, and they leave Kentucky, and they go to Tennessee. Well, because our states do not talk to each other, Billy goes into that home in Tennessee, and they put him in a closet. They put him in a closet. They don't feed him. They beat him. And nobody knows that Billy exists. And that story that I'm telling you happens all the time in our country. All because we don't seem to understand. We must talk to each other. Children who enter the system need to know that they need to go on a national registry. Period. I'm not coming in and checking on you to make sure you're the best mom in the world, the best dad, because God knows I'm the father of four kids. It is You cannot be the best. <laughs> But what it does is let's just give that family a little bit more support. 
let's check in and say, hey, how's it going? How is Billy? And I just feel like, Kim, that, that, you know, just like me, you know, where I was a kid who basically fell through the cracks, never remember a social worker coming to visit, never remember anyone ever checking in up on me. I, I feel like here's you were in the same situation. Yeah, yeah. And, and for that reason, I wanted to become a social worker to help kids who needed my help. I mean, to, to continue on, like, with my with the story uh, that that's perfect how it goes in is like I was I was out here in Colorado on my own my my mom and my stepdad left with my siblings again I was left here to fend for myself and was working three jobs trying to survive and never shared my story with anyone but um, one of the one of the owners of the places that I worked at had reached out to me and asked me if I was interested in going to college, which when you're in high school, they talk about college and you get excited. But in reality, when you're out on your own after foster care, you just are in survival mode. And uh, so they they were the, the segue to helping me. My trajectory of my life changed when they took me out to breakfast the morning of my ACT. They helped me enroll in college. You know, it just, it it, it ebbed and flowed. I failed college. I got pregnant. I was homeless. And uh, it took me a good 12 years before I finally graduated from college and was stable and doing well and uh, ended up going to work in child welfare so that I could be that person that could step in and say, hey, this isn't right. We need to do this. We need to, to do more of that. And I started learning more about laws and regulations and when you're in child welfare it's like this tunnel vision that happens you're just focusing on this family and then you get a new family and then you get a new family and it's the system really does need a better way to work for sure absolutely that's why i always say i truly believe that dana i said this you know gosh i wish i had a penny every time i said it the system shattered it is absolutely shattered and you know social workers are overworked, underpaid, caseloads are just absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, you you said that, and I love this because I hear this quite often, you know, I write about it in my book, I, I hear other people who have are who have aged out of the system, you had one person that believed in you, you had one mm-hmm. person that believed in you, and they said, should you go to, you know, I, I much like you college was never an option that just wasn't an option nobody ever i i tell the story about no one ever came into mrs brown's english class and pulled me out to see if i wanted to have a future because we are the type of kids who are the disposable kids we don't have a future but you did it you did it you you know here you are a mother took you 12 years you did it you you know got a job you were you know providing for yourself providing for your kids but then all of a sudden all of a sudden you stop and you say I have to do more and then I'm assuming that's where foster alumni mentors started yeah well and what happened was so again I had never shared my story of being in foster care I never told anyone It was this guilt thing, this shame thing that we really shouldn't feel because we were in foster care, but it's this stigma that you feel judged by. And I never really felt like I belonged anywhere. Like I could not figure out who I was, what I needed to do. 
And uh, one day I, I just shared with one of my coworkers in child welfare that I had aged out of foster care. And they looked at me and said, well, I, I thought you grew up in middle class family. And, and it's interesting to think that I was offended by that. Like, what do you mean I look like I grew up in a middle-class family? What am I supposed to look like? Am I supposed to have holes in my jeans? Am I supposed to walk around with a trash bag on my back? Am I supposed to be the homeless person on the corner holding up a sign asking for money? Like, what are your expectations of who these kids grow up? And how is that affecting how you're working with them? And that's, it's, you can tell it's one of the things that gets me fired up because if we constantly tell these kids that they, they are a statistic, they're a statistic, what do you think we're feeding into their mind? And these kids end up telling me when I was working in child welfare, these kids are amazing. And they're telling me, why should I even bother trying? I'm just going to be like my mom. I'm just going to be like my dad. I'm never having kids because they're just going to end up in the system. And so I, I, reached out on Google, started searching, like, are there other kids that came from foster care that are professionals now? Because I knew I couldn't be this anomaly, this this person out of 456,000 kids in foster care that becomes a success story, because you never hear about those stories. You never hear about the people that made it unless it's huge, unless they make it huge. And, and it goes to the story of this this girl that I know, we're good friends. She aged out of foster care. She ended up going and getting her two-year degree in college. And I asked her, where is your diploma? And she said, oh, it's on my counter with a stack of bills. And I said, why don't you have that framed and up on your wall? That's something to be proud of. And she said, it just feels like it's the bottom rung of the ladder. It's not a big deal. So the stories that we're feeding these kids, we need to do better by them and say, hey, I was in foster care. And when I go into a room of kids that have been in foster care and I tell them that, they look at me and they are wide-eyed and they go, really? And, and it's mind-boggling that they don't think that we're everyday normal people walking around that are success stories, that are making it, that are doing it. And so that's where Foster Alumni Mentors came from is I want to inspire hope in these kids. I want to give them something to look forward to, to say, okay, becoming a movie star, becoming a, a football player, or becoming the CEO of a business doesn't have to be what my goal is set at. It can be I'm working, I'm going to school, I'm you know, in a healthy relationship, whatever that success story looks like for them, I want them to know that that is success. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. And, you know, I I was telling you about, I was at the the boys and, no, I was at the um, Big Brothers Big Sisters in Atlanta. And by the way, I have never really done anything with them. I, I didn't know much about them. And, um, but I was meeting with the CEO in Atlanta. Amazing, amazing. We could, Dana, we got to have him on, on our podcast. Amazing okay. guy. But you know what I found out? And, and Kim, I think this is going to surprise you. Do you know that they, they have in their, their guidelines, they do not mentor children in the foster care system? Really? No. Yeah. 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 They feel they're not stable enough. I I just heard that. I, I, I'm not kidding you. I literally thought I was going to pick my, 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 my jaw up off of the ground that they feel they're not stable enough because they travel to too many different homes. And I said to the CEO at the, at big brothers, big sisters, 
And by the way, he does not agree with that guideline. He wants that guideline to be changed. This is a this is a, a man who is like we. I mean, this organization has been around for 130 years. They're like we. You know, this is what we should be doing: mentoring kids. You know, who, who needs need us it the mo- most? Exactly. Right. Who needs the most? So when I see an organization like yours, you know, I see you know the the whole mentoring part. And by the way, I I, I try to to let people know I'm an open book. Um, but I have my son, one of my, my middle son, um, we just started a mentor with him. Um, you know, he's, he's African American and, um, he's heading, you know, making some life decisions that we don't feel the, what's needed to be done. And, and so we felt like, you know what, we're the parents and we're really not getting through. And so we just started, we got a mentor for him and he's been, you know, the mentor comes, picks him up, and they spend the day together. And I saw my son come home the other, it was Saturday, I want to say, um, saw my son come home Saturday with his mentor. And I can't tell you the last time I saw my son smile so big and talk about how, what an amazing day he had with his mentor. And so I, I'm living it. I'm living it. I see it. And I see how important what you're doing. Um, because, you know, we don't have people, you know, I, my daughter, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. My, my husband Reese laughed at me yesterday because we got three emails from three different colleges saying that, you know, they were excited for Amaya to come and visit their campus. And Maya's a sophomore, by the way. And so I was so, so excited. I was like, oh my gosh. And my husband who has his master's and, and he was like, you know, these are like, they send them to everybody. I was like, stop it. Don't bust my bubble. You know? <laughs> and, and, but the thing is, is that I said to, I said, wow, you know, if I wasn't around, if my husband wasn't around, who would mentor my daughter to make sure that she's taking her SATs and her PSATs? So, so tell, let's talk a little bit about what your organization, first of all, I'm absolutely blown away by your organization because there's only you. Um, and you just had this amazing, amazing 5K race. This is your second year doing it, that you are raising these funds all on your own. You have no corporate sponsors. You, you know, are, are really trying to make a difference when it comes to mentoring kids. And so I'd like for you to do a couple things for Dana and I. I've been in the system. Dana and I, we were very open about the fact that Dana hasn't been in the system. And that's why I think we make such great co-hosts together. Um, but I'd love for you to tell me the day in the life of a child who is in your program? Oh, so day in the life of a, a child in our program. I'll, I'll pick one for instance. So we have a youth who is currently homeless. Um, and I call them youth. I call them kids too. I mean, they're, they're my kids. Um, I get called mama Rass. So it's, it's, it's nice. And uh, they're young adults. They're oftentimes, the majority of them are in their 20s, but I have one in particular. She's She's been homeless for a little while and uh, just had her first child and is living with a friend at this time, but she also has custody of her younger sister. And it's because the family issues have never gone away. They've never resolved, and it, it, it continues on. So this young lady is wanting to go to school. 
She's trying to figure out what resources are out there to help her. So we've connected her with some of our family resources in town, Family First, which helps um, single moms. And uh, she's been enrolled in school, and uh, she's just really trying to survive. And we've worked with her on getting housing vouchers and advocating for her and helping her with when she enrolled in school, ensuring that she has all of her needs met, if she needed a ride, um, what that looks like. We also were able to throw a baby shower for her and just celebrate her. She is still dealing with all of the stuff from her family and trying to survive. And this kiddo has so much. She, she has so many goals and a vision for what her life is going to look like. And she just does not give up. And she stays in contact. And she's reaching out when she needs help. And if we weren't here, I don't know what she would be doing. Do you have, like, somebody who's assigned to her that helps her with housing? and? So, yes. Um, we have a mentor that has been working with her, helped her with going down and um, filling out the housing voucher application um, and has been walking her through all that. So we kind of do this wraparound piece where it isn't, one person versus another it's what how can we help this youth or young adult to feel loved and supported you know i think that that is something that's such a key in so many ways is that you know having these kids feel that they matter that they're loved that they're wanted is to give them that extra strength to do the things they need to do yeah, because I feel like even as an adult, sometimes having to go to get what you need, go to the DMV and take care of this or go and take is so overwhelming sometimes that I can't imagine being a young adult that doesn't have parents to help me do that stuff. So it's amazing that your organization is really making the difference between whether or not this young woman is going to grow up to have a successful, fulfilling life or not. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and to piggyback off of that, you know, we have a lot of our kiddos that are enrolled in our local college here, Colorado Mesa University. And we, they, they're like, I don't know what's going on with my financial aid. Can you help me? I don't understand this. I don't have anyone to go to the, the student orientation day with me because parents typically go with them. And so we match them with mentors. The mentors do what they can. If the mentors aren't available, I'm always available to go. I've attended graduation parties. I've thrown graduation parties. We've gone to the student orientation day. We've just sit and wrap around services and love on these young adults because they so need it. Everyone, as you're listening to this podcast, I, I want you all to know, you know, first of all, visit fosteralumnimentors.org, become a monthly donor. You know, the, the what you're giving to help these kids understand that they, we talk about the net. I, I talk about the net that, you know, so many, my children have a net. My children, when they age up into 18, 19, 20, 30, they have a net. They have their dad and I. You know, these kids have no one. And so so to be able to have organizations like Foster Alumni Mentors to continue to operate, I say it, hey, money is what make the world go round, we, and they need it. I, I really would like people to visit fosteralumnimentors.org. They can, you know, donate there. They can talk about, find out exactly what's going on. And, you know, um, I, Kim, I know that you're doing a, um, you're doing a newsletter. Yes, we do a monthly newsletter. 
Yeah, so please make sure you sign up on that monthly newsletter. Kim, if there was a way that, you know, um, maybe one of our listeners would like to mentor one of your, um, you know, kiddos, as you, I love that, kiddos that are in your area, but they live in Wisconsin, um, how could they possibly help you out there? That's a really great question that we have been working on figuring out figuring out an answer or solution to. Um, One of the things that we do is we do have a Facebook chat group. And I'm playing with the idea of maybe doing that where we have, it's not necessarily a round table, but maybe a round messenger where somebody has a question about something, um, they can go on there and ask. And there's a group of people that have different professions they're in and different life experiences that may have an answer for them, such as I mean, here we can do face-to-face. We have a youth who um, wants to be a firefighter. And so we were in my office, and I know that just across the building, there is a firefighter. And so I can get up and take him over and say, hey, let's chat with this firefighter about what it takes to be one. Um, If we could start a a group in, in regards to that, that people would be able to give their expertise and information to questions that these kids have because uh, so oftentimes they're left just trying to trying to figure it out and thinking that they're alone well i love that you know how how can people get a hold of you we're on facebook we're on instagram um we have an email it's just kim at fosteralumnimentors.org that goes straight to me uh and we have our website and I will put the links to all of those on uh, comfortcases.org slash podcast under, you know, under the link for this episode. You know, so awesome. as, as we end this, you know, first of all, I, I want to repeat, it, it is so, so, so important that we all as nonprofits, that we collaborate, that we collaborate and truly make change. You know, I, I, if people come to me and say, hey, Rob, you should start, you know, a comfort case to start mentoring. The first thing I would say is, why would I do, do that when my friend Kim is doing an amazing job? You know, maybe what we do is figure out how Kim can expand that into different states. But you're right. Doing- and what about with Whitney Gilliard, who we talked to, because yes. she does something similar where she provides housing for and the same type of mentorship for Ex- people who are aging out. So Ex- connecting people who who do the similar things or the same things to then expand and grow. You know, exactly. And, you know, you Dana, you just made me think about something we need to get we need to do a round table of all of these amazing people, each one who's doing different things and come together. We need to figure out how we can put something together to give to these kids to say, okay, Hey, if you, if you need a backpack, reach comfort cases. If you need the comfort XL, reach this. If you need, you know, a mentor, reach out to Kim. If you need, if you need housing, you know, I know that, that right now that, that, you know, my, our friend Whitney is, in Georgia, but we could start expanding that and start, you know, um, I love that idea, by the way, love that idea. Again, you know, it's, it's something that we, we end this quite often. Um, Dana's going to ask a couple questions, but before that happens, I want to tell people and remind them that, you know, if you cannot adopt foster and if you cannot foster, I need you to donate. And if you can't donate, you need to volunteer. And if you can't volunteer, I think you need to look yourself in the mirror. Find out what your purpose is because we are all here to serve. And if we're not serving the 430,000 children that are in our system as of today, um, really, what is our legacy? 
So, Dana, I know we've got those questions we love to ask, so let's ask <laughs> yes. Kim. So, Kim, um, at the end of each podcast, we like to ask our guests, if you could change two things about the foster care system right now, what would they be? And we and we say two because we know there are so many different things that we want to give you two opportunities to uh, to say what you would change. I would I would have to say the first one is making the kids come first rather than the liability behind it. And two, I would like to see better collaboration between agencies. For sure. Absolutely. Wow. I love that. Makes a lot of sense. Well, everybody, thank you so much today for visiting fostering, you know, listening to fostering change. Um, We really do hope that this podcast truly does bring change, but we also hope that it educates everyone who listens. I'm asking all of you as you listen to this podcast, do us a big favor, share the podcast, share the podcast, get people to listen to it. That is the only way that we make a difference within our community and our community. Again, it's not our zip code. It's our human race. And the only way that change is going to come about is by absolutely letting people know we are here to educate you. Kim, I love you. I am so, so absolutely grateful to call you my friend. You, my friend, inspire me every single day. So keep up the amazing work, and I cannot wait to hear more success stories. And we will be having you back, Kim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. Dana and I would like to thank all of you for listening to the Fostering Change podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Make sure you follow Comfort Cases on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Comfort Cases. And check out the Fostering Change blog at comfortcases.org. So everybody, we want to hear your stories. So reach out to us if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. You can find me on Facebook at Rob Shear, Instagram at Rob underscore Shear, and on Twitter at Rob Shear 6. And please share this podcast and leave us a review. Remember, we're all part of the same community. Your zip code, it's not your community, but it's our human race. Let's all make a difference.